It all started with a very simple idea. Tell the stories of how successful middle market CEOs made it to the corner office. I'm Brand Handley, founder and managing director of Resource Options International, or ROI. We're the USA's premier executive search firm focused exclusively on empowering middle market companies to attract, hire, and retain A players while transforming top executives' careers and lives. ROI's Into the Corner office is dedicated to discovering how middle market CEOs advance their career, and we're making these remarkable and sometimes quite unbelievable stories available to you for the very first time. Listen and learn about the challenges they've overcome, the interesting people they've met along the way, and the lessons learned that steered these executives' unique journey into a middle market corner office of their own. I know you enjoy these CEO stories as much as I've enjoyed recording them. So thank you for listening today. And if you like what you've heard, rate us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm looking forward to you joining me on the next great middle market CEO adventure into the corner office. My guest today is Steve Swinney, CEO and co-founder of Kodiak Building Partners. Steve serves on Kodiak's board of directors and is responsible for the overall vision and execution of Kodiak's business strategy. Since its creation in 2011, Kodiak has grown to nearly $1.8 billion in revenue through 30 acquisitions and three business launches, along with extensive organic growth of its operating companies. Prior to the founding of Kodiak, Steve was the Vice President of Financial Planning and Analysis with ProBuild Holdings and held numerous financial positions with increasing scopes of responsibility at Western Union, Clark Retail Enterprises, Target Corporation, and Arthur Anderson. Steve earned his undergraduate degree in accounting at Abilene Christian University and his MBA in finance from the University of Texas at Austin. In his free time, Steve is usually enjoying time with his family, skiing, snowshoeing, or hiking in the Colorado mountains. Steve Swinney, welcome into the corner office. Thanks, Brant. Great to be here today and uh, look forward to visiting with you. Well, good to have you here. And I know you're nursing a little bit of a cold today, so it's all right. Uh, if you need to cough every now and then or grab a glass of water, our audience is uh, very accommodating when it comes to those things. So <laughs> it's good to good to have you uh, on, on the phone again here and, and being able to talk about, you know, what's going on. We, we spoke uh, about a week or so ago a little bit about how, Kodak, uh, how COVID has hit Kodiak. And, you know, would love to just kind of get your impressions. You know, how are you doing personally? How's your family? And, and how has it impacted your business, you know, positive and negative? Yeah, thank you. Well, you know, first of all, myself, my family are doing great. Uh, we've had one, one COVID uh, positive in our mm. house uh, over the, the last several months, but it was right. minor and, and everyone's doing great. Um, and I'll tell you, turn into Kodiak. Uh, it, it's been an interesting year, no doubt. And I think we can all say that, um, you know, for us, we're, we were deemed an essential business, uh, right out of the gates. We are delivering building products to home builders and contractors all over the mm. country. And so, you know, our business doesn't exist without our employees being in the yards every day, sure, being in their trucks sure. and delivering product. Well, there was a lot, a lot of remodeling going on. I a hear, lot of remodel, right? so, a lot of near home <laughs> construction. Exactly. And so... You know, what was interesting was, of course, we were relieved when we first got that word and said, okay, well, we're not going to be shut down right. for a time. But then I, I will tell you that as leaders, our whole team really had to think about, oh, wait a second, that means that tomorrow morning, mm. we've got 
thousands of employees that are showing up to work tomorrow. And wow. we've got to wow. do things differently yeah. to yeah. keep them safe, but keep the business going. And so right. if there's something that I, I, I am proud of, of our team, and I'm proud of a lot of things that they've done, but it, it was really watching them make that move, make those adjustments mm. literally on a dime to keep yeah. operating. And, and what wow. I'm really happy to say is, you know, now almost obviously a year into this thing, um, you know, Kodiak processes and systems are in place, place. <laughs> They're in place, <laughs> but it was t tough in the beginning. I yeah. Mean, and, yeah. and, you know, and the reality is that, um, our infection rate, if you will, uh, positive positivity rate over that year has been just slightly ahead of, of what the nation is. And so our yeah, teams have figured yeah. out how to get it done and that's still be great. in the office and be in the yards every day. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, I'm glad to hear that. Well, you know, let's just back up a little bit. Want to hear a little bit about your early family life. And uh, you'd mentioned we spoke before that you're an only child. So, you know, tell us a little bit about where you grew up and, and what that early family life was like. Sure, sure. So I grew up in Arlington Heights, Illinois, uh, northwest mm. suburbs of Chicago. And, and I was adopted. And so uh, mm -hmm. when I was a week old, I was adopted. So I grew up as an only child. Um, but I do actually have uh, several siblings, uh, half siblings that I've I've found mm. in the in recent years. So, um, but but early years growing up in the Chicago area, uh, close family, a uh, family that was very involved in uh, church and yeah. Yeah. faith wise and just our community. But uh, great experience, right, right. a great place to grow up. Mom and mom and dad were Christians. Took you to to church regularly. Uh, when you were a child? They were, yeah. We were really involved. We went to a smaller church and uh, and they were very involved in the church. And, and awesome. uh, so that was a big part of my upbringing, both yeah. that and camps and youth groups and all those kinds of things. What kind of sports did you pursue? What was your what were your favorite sports as a kid? Yeah, so I, I played a lot of sports growing up. Uh, I played football and basketball and ran track mm -hmm. in high school and played baseball uh, when I was a little younger. That one didn't make it to high school, but uh, <laughs> sports was a big part of, of my growing up. Uh, it was a place where I connected with people, uh, you know, had a lot of a lot of great coaches and mentors and friends that came out mm -hmm. of those experiences as well. Were you a good student? You know, I was a good student. I, I think I, uh, unfortunately in my early years, I, I was kind of trying to be good enough, you know, as good as I needed to be. <laughs> <laughs> good in the things you excelled in, right? <laughs> exactly. So uh, I think I was a, like. a little more interested in sports probably, but I, I yeah, got by yeah. uh, for sure. Yeah. Awesome. And, uh, you know, you've had obviously mentioned coaches and, and parents. What were some of the early lessons, you know, the people you think about as early influencers, mom or dad, or maybe a coach, what were some of the things that you remember that might've inspired you during those younger years? Well, you know, I'll tell you, my, my, who I would consider my first mentor was really my grandpa. Uh, my mom's mm. dad uh, was, was someone I was really close to. He uh, was a really amazing man, uh, truck, long haul truck driver. And uh, he actually lived out here in Colorado where I am now. Uh, so I grew up getting to come out here and go camping and fishing with him. And unfortunately he passed away when I was about seven uh, of a heart attack. But, you know, even in those early years, just remember, um, things I, things I remember about him was humility, was, uh, was hard work and, and just kind of pride in what he did and how he did it and in his family. And, uh, those are things that really stuck with me, even though I only had that, you know, that short time with him. Yeah. Yeah. Entrepreneurial things as a kid, Steve, did you, uh, you know, pursue the, uh, ubiquitous paper route or <laughs> selling mistletoe at Christmas time or gift cards? You know, mine was the lawn mowing. Uh, I, lawn mowed, mowing. I okay. mowed a couple of lawns and, and of course, <laughs> as we'll get into this conversation later, acquisitions have been a big part of, of mm. my career. I think my yeah. first, 
I guess we could call it an acquisition. My next door neighbor uh, was a little older than me and he mowed, I mean, he had the lock on the whole neighborhood. He mowed a bunch <laughs> of lawns. And when he went off to college, I was fortunate enough to acquire all of his, uh, uh-huh. his lawns. So, right. so that was really, was uh, it, was it a true acquisition? Did you have to pay him money for it or? <laughs> well, that's the great thing. It was the best acquisition I ever did because I, I didn't even have to pay anything. I just I had to say, get you're, the work you're it up for me, right? So, yeah. uh, yeah. So, th- so I did a lot of that. I, I worked some other, you know, kind of your typical jobs, worked in a, a nursery, uh, landscaping, you know, uh, business and right. work, did work, uh, doing not newspaper delivery, but rolling up the newspapers before they, you know, the Sunday oh, yeah. weekend routes went out. But, uh, the lawn mowing was really where I, uh, where I spent most of my, my entrepreneurial time, I guess, in high school. I love it. We had a, a female CEO on early in the, in the series and, uh, she was the youngest of four, uh, sorry, five at four older brothers and they all had paper routes. They would pay her a penny a piece to fold the papers. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> that was her role. And I said, are you kidding me, Susan? You got up at 4 a.m. in the morning? She goes, yeah, they paid me well. <laughs> well That's great. I love that. And you decided to go into a, a finance career. We want to talk about that in a minute. Several, you know, great financial positions in a number of terrific companies. Uh, but the the choice to go to Abilene Christian, tell us a little bit about that. And, and you know, was that something, um, again, that was kind of predis, you know, predetermined or, or a decision you made in your last couple of years of high school? Yeah, you know, it was, uh, no, I think in the last couple of years of high school, I, um, my dad grew up in, in kind of the panhandle of Texas, real small town. And so, and I grew up in a church that was connected to ACU. Mm -hmm. Um, so that was my early connection. I went to camps there, uh, when I was in high school, Uh some, Mm -hmm. and, and my youth minister, uh, Milton Buckaloo, who's also another one of those mentors, Mm. um, had gone to school there. So I got exposure to it there. Uh, although I will say it was strongly encouraged, uh, for my parents as well. You know, I think I moved once when I was a kid and that was about three blocks away. So (laughs) one of the things about college was I wanted to go somewhere else. I wanted to see a different part of the country and experience something different. And, and I will say going from Chicago, Illinois to Abilene, Texas, uh, that's a pretty different change, but it was a great experience. Great place. Right. Well, how did you make that decision then? So was it, um, again, you mentioned the church connection. So was that a long distance relationship or how did that come up on the, on the radar screen for you? Yeah. You know, it just came up through those, those relationships and connections. And, and I did, you know, I wanted to go to, uh, kind of a smaller faith-based university. I just felt like that was the right fit for me. And then interestingly, and, and I'm sure we'll get into this along the way here, my wife, Linda, uh, and I are actually, we met in high school up in Chicago. Okay. And so we'd been dating for a couple of years and, and it was, you know, we wanted to go to college together. And, uh, so we both were kind of looking at different schools and that was a place that, that resonated with both of us. And, uh, right. and so there we were in Abilene. There we go. Terrific. And, uh, you pursued an accounting degree and it looks like went to work for Arthur Anderson for a couple of years before getting your MBA. Um, was the Arthur Anderson stit kind of what you did with an accounting degree back then or, or what led you to, you know, spend uh, some time with them before, you know, going back to, uh, MBA school? It, it really was. Yeah, that was, that was the path. And, and I'll tell you, interestingly, yeah. when, when I was about a junior in college, I had decided that I was going to change my major to finance. And, mm-hmm, and I, mm-hmm. I did that just, or I was thinking I was going to do that just because, well, I felt like that was eventually where I was going to end up. And so I went to, uh, another mentor, uh, Jack Griggs, who was the Dean of the college of business at that time. And, and I told him because he'd been in banking and I thought he'd love this. I told him, you know, I've decided I'm going to change my major to finance. And Jack just looked at me and he said, no, you're not. 
And, <laughs> and I said, well, no, I, I am. I've really thought about this and here's what I want to do. And he said, listen, you're going to finish your degree in accounting. You're going to go to work for a big, big four mm -hmm. accounting firm. And that's going to give you a lot of great experiences. You're going to get exposed yeah. to a lot. Yeah. And then you're going to go to graduate school and then you can go do whatever you want. <laughs> he mapped it out for you, he right? He mapped there. it out. And I'll tell you, I, I love that. And and yeah, he's still yeah. he's still a, a, a friend and and mentor. Mm. And you know, people like that in your life over over the course yeah. of your life and career that I think speak into you. And <clears throat> sometimes softly and sometimes firmly like that. Right, right. Those are the people you want in your corner. Yeah, absolutely. University of Texas at Austin for for MBA, and then and then three great companies. You were at Target, Clark Retail, and then ended up Western Union. You know, three four years uh, in each location, um, and then you went you know into the middle market, and and you know we'll talk a little bit about Pro Bowl uh, Pro Pro Build, obviously in your most recent assignments. But tell us about that corporate time. You know, what were some of the key lessons you learned as you went through, you know, those various finance positions? You know, I think you started as an analyst, right, and then went into corporate finance roles. Uh -huh. I did, yeah. I had. I and, and like you said, I had the great fortune of being in some really good places and learning from some really good people. At Target, uh, getting exposed to a lot of different parts of their business over a few years and, and just being in an environment where you had a lot of development and encouragement and support. Uh, when I went moved on to Clark, uh, that was part of a, a private equity-owned venture, and, and I worked for, uh, worked for a very hard-charging and, and challenging and tough uh, tough boss who taught me a lot about just, um, you know, never, never settling for, uh, less than your best, mm -hmm. always mm -hmm. being really determined and, and committed to, to finishing the job. And, and then from there, like you said, came out here to Denver, Western union brought us out to, yeah. to Denver, yeah. Colorado. And, uh, you know, there again, got to just expose, get exposed to a different industry and, and, uh, different people and, and just a lot of learning along the way in all three of those opportunities. You know, looking back over your corporate years, and I, you know, I, I, I did myself 17 years in a couple of companies, as I think you and I spoke last time we, we, we spoke. And, you know, there's, there's goods and there's bads. And, and, you know, we don't necessarily have to remember the people that were associated with the bads. But if you, <laughs> if you, if you, you know, saw some behavior that, you know, you kind of remembered from those years ago, you know, when I build a company, I never want to do that again. Share with us a little bit of those insights. Yeah, you know, I think I think the word that comes to mind is humility, uh, and mm -hmm. sometimes mm -hmm. you learn that from people like my grandpa, who is very humble, and sometimes yeah. you learn that from <laughs> people that have very little of people it. who exactly. <laughs> and, and I think you know, one of the, if there was one thing in my career that that I really got exposed to at one point that was lacking, that that's what I saw mm. as as just a you know, just a defining thing to stay away from, because yeah, I'll tell you what yeah. I saw in that was, you know, when you, when a leader doesn't have humility, they don't have the ability to surround themselves with great people right? because right, they have right. to, you know, you have to be, you have to be better than everyone else. And I, and I yeah, think yeah, that they're, they're, they're the smartest person in the room. And I yeah, think that yeah. really leads to it. I think that's just a recipe for a, for a mediocre organization. And, you know, here at Kodiak, yeah. I am surrounded, literally surrounded by people who are better at their mm -hmm. jobs that I could ever be. And, and I think that's been a big part of our success. So, so um, you got in the building industry. It looks like ProBuild, I think, was your first uh, venture there. Uh, what, were they a publicly traded company or were they more middle market? What, 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 tell us a little bit about ProBuild. Yeah, so ProBuild, when I joined in, in 07, uh, was, had just been the merger of three regional players in mm. this industry. 
And so they became, you know, a multi-billion dollar uh, company, but it was wow. privately held and it was owned wow. by a, a private equity firm. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, so I had the chance to, to go there and, and join when they were really forming the corporate organization. Mm, so I was cool. about the 10th employee at the corporate uh -huh. office here in Colorado. Re reporting into the CFO or reporting to the CEO in that role? No, I reported uh, into the CFO. Um, CFO. And he yeah. had just, he had three weeks on me on the job. So <laughs> we were all just right. learning Everybody as we went and, yeah. and kind of creating yeah. that organization. Uh, unfortunately, it was right at the beginning of, you know, what turned out the to crisis. be a great recession. Oh my gosh, yeah. And, and housing got hit so hard there. Oh my goodness. The building industry as well. It did. We The whole industry yeah. really got cut by about two thirds oh during those goodness. ensuing years. And- uh, Tough. And so it was a challenging time, but again, a time uh, with a lot of great mentors around me, mm. uh, a lot of uh, a lot of learning about the industry, and um, and ultimately, you know, coming out of that experience and then taking it, you know, into our launch in Kodiak, yeah, uh, kind of yeah. at the tail end of 2010 and early 2011. Right, right, terrific. And is uh, ProBuild still together? Were they able to hold it up through the the crisis and come out the other side? Yeah, they definitely did. They ultimately were acquired by another company in our industry, uh, Builders First Source. So they're now mm. part of that organization. And, got it, got it. and, you know, a lot of us, several of us uh, from ProBuild came over to start Kodiak right, uh, right, right. as well. And then, yeah, you know, yeah. our, my old boss, Tom Ryan, the, the CFO there retired and, um, and others, but, uh, but yeah, so, so it's been, a it's been an interesting journey. Um, I've only been in this industry for about 13 years, but yeah, we've covered yeah. a lot of ground. Uh, yeah. <laughs> when you're coming up on 10 years with Kodiak and what, what was kind of the motivation? Tell us kind of the aha moment when you either, you know, saw the opportunity and said, you know, I need to do this on my own and, but we're going to do it a little differently. Was it, was it, you know, God inspired? Was it, you know, consumer inspired? Were there opportunities that, you know, your, your previous employer just wasn't uh, tackling? Tell us a little bit around the, the impetus for founding Kodiak. You know, I think it's, uh, it's probably a little bit of all of those, um, okay. you know, certainly one piece. So on it, just the economic side, you know, like I said, we'd gone through the great recession, our industry yeah, yeah. had gotten, hit extremely hard. And oh, yeah, yeah. so as we went through and lived through that experience, you know, certainly by the end of 2010, our team was kind of seeing uh, the opportunities for recovery and the opportunities maybe kind of ripe to build a business in this space. So I think that was, that was number right. one. The second thing was that, uh, as you mentioned, I mean, we did see some different things at ProBuild. Uh, ProBuild was, you know, in our industry, I should take a step back here. Our industry is built on family-owned businesses. I mean, the historical right. legacy of this right. industry right. is very fragmented. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's yeah. the local lumber yard or the local drywall yard and so on. That's right. Paint company. And all these towns. And the whole building material industry is that way. Yeah. yeah. All over the country. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And so, you know, a company like ProBuild, and certainly what Kodiak has done as well, you know, we're doing a lot of acquisitions and you're consolidating an industry. and so I think what I learned at ProBuild was this, that while we had a great business plan, a lot of, a lot of bright people working there, we got kind of caught up, caught up as an organization in mm -hmm. centralizing everything. And what, what I learned from that was that this idea of, of really decentralized and really locally mm -hmm. driven businesses. Yeah. And so that became an emphasis that, you know, when we set out to build Kodiak, uh, our conversation was around, 
we're going to do this consolidation thing. We're going to grow by acquisition, but we're going to mm. do it differently. We're going to we're going to really honor the legacy of these local brands that you know built up these companies. We're going to honor that local culture. We're going to we're going to stay just violently decentralized mm. and really have a small corporate team that's there to support what goes on out in the field. And that's right. been, you know, that's been our model for the last 10 years. Yeah. Well, and you've done what, almost 30 acquisitions. So what, two, three acquisitions a year on average. We have, we've, uh, we're coming up. I think this year we'll, we'll hit our 30th. We just closed a small wow. one yesterday, actually. Oh, congratulations. And, um, yeah. But yeah, so over the last nine and a half years, about 27, 28 acquisitions. Uh, it's been a, it's been a busy, a busy decade for us. Yeah. Yeah. And, and has your faith hit a role? I mean, you know, how has that played out if, if you don't mind talking about that? No, not at all. It's, you know, it's played a big role. Mm. I think, you know, you go back to when we started and, and, and I've referred to this, but I'll, I'll kind of describe this. I started with uh, three other guys that were a part of my team at ProBuild. Right. The four of us right. really kind of left with this idea. And then ultimately we had a, a fifth addition to that team, Paul Hilbert, who had been the CEO of that company, oh. uh, ProBuild, had retired and then joined us and, and became the chairman of our oh, company cool. and really cool. has been yeah. uh, a mentor and, a, and a, a coach for us over the years and a great partner. But... Um, but yeah, you know, when, when we were thinking about doing this, the time my kids or I've got three kids and they're, they were probably, you know, kind of 12, 10 and eight kind of in that <laughs> age range. And so starting a business at the end of the great recession yeah. at that time was really, it took risk, a leap. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, certainly it was something that my wife and I spent a lot of, a lot of time praying about right. and, and really true. seeking that guidance and, and ultimately feeling a peace, um, and, and really a calling to do this mm. was a big part of that. And then I would tell you that, you know, candidly, that's probably become, my faith has played a bigger and bigger role in, in how I do my job day to day as, as we've grown and developed. And I think. Tell us, tell us a little bit about that. What, what does that look like? Well, I think it's two things. I think number one, um, one of the things I found, and I, and I think a lot of, a lot of those of us who strike out and start a business, you, you feel like you got to do everything mm-hmm. and control everything and manage, right. you know, if you're going to do it. And especially that, that, you know, comes out of how you start. I mean, our business Kodiak started in my basement. And so there are <laughs> right. those early days, there's not too many people around to assign anything to. <laughs> right. Sure. But, you know, I, <laughs> you're looking at them. <laughs> right, exactly. But I think, I think when I look back at the first several years of, of our growth here, uh, a lot of that need to do everything, control everything mm. really kind of manifests itself in the fact of not, not trusting the rest of your team yeah. and, and really not trusting that, you know, my belief system is that I've, I've got a God that's going to take care of yeah, me. Yeah, he's going to take care of us. Yeah. And we're, we're just stewards anyway, right? At the end of the day, we're, we're taking care of for him. <laughs> there was a turning point for me I'm going to say around 2016, 17 mm. that started where I did let go of that. And I will tell you that uh, we did well those first five or six years. But I mean, s- since I kind of, you know, gave up the reins a little bit of that, we've, right, we've right. more than quadrupled in size in the last four years. So I think there's something Fantastic. to that. And there's a blessing there for yeah, sure. <laughs> and I think the second thing of influence for me has been that um, you know, we've got about 5,000 employees now. And, um, I think, I think the, the genuine concern and, and care 
and responsibility. I think our whole leadership team feels towards our employees and their families. Mm. Um, I, I don't, I don't think that's, uh, I think there, I think that's driven by kind of a deeper, you know, a deeper calling and a deeper, yeah. uh, connection to what, what we ought to be as a business and as leaders. Awesome, Steve. I, you know, I've heard it said, uh, from some CEOs that they can be, you know, somewhat uncomfortable having their answers questioned rather than their <laughs> questions answered. You know, what's been kind of your experience with that and the team that you've built, particularly at the executive level? Yeah, no, that's a great question. You know, I think, I think it, for us, it goes to our culture. This is, we have a very collaborative organization. Yeah. And <clears throat> so I think, you know, candidly, I would say we welcome that. Uh, we welcome that debate and dialogue. Mm. And and what I would say is there's a practical element of that, I think, too, where, in my opinion, you want to have a culture where your team feels like they can raise issues, they can question, right. they can challenge things. But there is, there's a point at which, you know, I think you also have to be able to say, okay, we've debated and discussed this. Here's the decision. Here's where we're going now. We're going to leave this room and all march in one line. Yeah. But, but I really, yeah. I, I really love the, the opportunity for our team to to question and challenge things because I just, mm. I think it makes us better. How would you say your leadership styles evolved? Not just at Kodiak, but, you know, looking at the early years at uh, obviously Arthur Anderson and Target, you know, versus how you manage and lead today. Well, you know, I, I think, um, I think the first thing that I would say is even maybe how I define leadership. Mm. Um, and, and this is not, I'm going to give credit to someone else because it's, it's their language and, and I don't think I could say it better, but Kevin Hancock is a, mm -hmm. a CEO in, in a regional business in our industry out in the East Coast. Um, and Kevin's actually got a couple of books out that, uh, that would be great reads. Yeah. But in, in one of his books, he talks about the fact that you know, leadership is really about influence. Mm. It's not a position. It's not, you know, it's not management. It's, right. it's influence. And so you know, when you ask about how my leadership's evolved over time, one of the things as I look back, you know, and, and this is something I, I, I would really encourage younger people listening to this, you know, you don't have to wait until you're at a certain position or role in a company to be a leader. Right. You're a leader in every situation you're mm -hmm. in because you have influence in, in the people around you. That's right. And so I, I think when I think of how my leadership's evolved, it's been more of a realization maybe of that. And then what does that mean for me, whether I'm speaking to a group, uh, visiting one of our locations, interacting with a potential acquisition, you know, my leadership is about how I'm influencing the people around me. And, and am I, <clears throat> am I good influence? Am I, uh, an impactful, a positively impactful influence on them? Or, or am, you know, are they walking away from me and going, <laughs> whew, I got to get away from that influence. So, you know, I, I think, um, but I, I, but I think then within that, I think, my thinking over the years has shifted more. I think leadership and influence is much more about people right. than it is about projects and execution of plans and those kinds of things. Yeah. Yeah. So true. You know, um, building a company culture is, is paramount and, and so much of it flows from the CEO. Um, tell us a little bit about first how you would describe, you know, Kodiak Building Partners uh, culture. And, and, and secondly, maybe a little more challenging, how do you keep it that way? Well, that's, that's, I mean, I'll answer the first, but that's the really big question, mm -hmm. I think. Um, so, so we went out and, and like a lot of companies do, you know, we defined what, what, what are we really ultimately at the core about? And we got our leadership team together a few years ago right. and we came up with 
what I think is a pretty interesting vision for our company. And it was creating a culture that empowers local leaders to succeed in the communities they serve. Mm. And what's interesting about that is, you know, we, we deliver building products right. and we right. build trusses and, and all these things. <clears throat> and yet none of that's really in our statement because, you know, ultimately there's a lot of companies that you can call and get some lumber or get some drywall sure. or get some kitchen cabinets or, or rebar and steel, whatever the case may be. We really, you know, kind of when we went back and said, well, who do we want to be? And we talked about this earlier about the local leadership and the decentralization. Right. We really, it's where we kind of landed on this because we said, well, our culture is really about empowering those, that local leadership. Yeah. yeah. And, and it's about succeeding in the communities they serve, which is, yes, it's building a great business and it's delivering products, but it's not just about that. It's about being a part of that community. It's about giving back to it, yep. making that community better. And for us, you know, I mean, ultimately our end result of, of our business is that homes and schools and offices and hospitals get built. And so we really are trying to connect in our culture to ultimately we're about building communities. Right. And right. Um, so then you asked about, well, what's the challenge of keeping yeah. it that way? And yeah. that's been one of the most for me, fascinating and challenging mm. parts of our journey. Um, you know, we started uh, 10 years ago, almost 10 years ago with three locations, uh, a, partnering with a local family here in Denver, that mm. great company that was kind of just struggling through that downturn. <laughs> and, and an idea. <laughs> and an idea. <laughs> right. And we had 80 employees wow. and about $20 million in sales. That was, that mm. was our base. And, you know, back then, our headquarters office and and our main you know plant was one and the same, and mm. and I could walk around, you know, for twenty minutes. I could I could take a long walk to get a cup of coffee in the office, and I could see and talk to most of our Pretty most of our employees, yeah. and yeah, yeah, yeah. and you could you could make sure that culturally we were kind of going in the right direction. You could course correct, and you just knew kind of how folks were feeling. Well, right. you know, fast forward from 20 million in sales and 80 <laughs> employees, and 10 years later, we've got, you know, 5,000 employees and almost 2 billion in sales. And we're in about 20 different states. Well, you can't do that walk around. Uh, and no, <laughs> not in a day anyway. Not in a day. <laughs> I think over the years, you know, we've adapted. How do we make sure we, we still connect with the pulse of our employees? Yeah. How do yeah. we communicate more and in different ways to reinforce what our culture is about. How do we keep living that out while we're growing, while we're changing and evolving? That's been the huge challenge for us, I think, right. is, is to keep up with that. And, and you know, the next question, of course, is, gosh, with so much growth, what, what do you look for when you're, you know, kind of making bets on the people you invest in and hire at Kodiak, Steve? I think passion, there's, there's several words that just kind of come, pops up in my head. Passion, uh, yeah. humility, uh, work ethic, yeah. um, trust, trust is probably the biggest one is, you yeah. know, um, and again, it gets right back to everything gets back to what's your culture and what's the way you're going to run your business for us because we are so decentralized because sure. we are, you know, we're so focused on leaving as much control and decision-making authority yeah. in that yeah. local leader's hands as possible, we've got to trust each other. And, and they've got to trust us too. They've got to trust my corporate team 
that we're all marching in the same direction, that we all want the same things. And, and yeah, we come at this from different perspectives, whether it's a finance and accounting or HR or IT or operations, right. we've got to have that trust. So, so, you know, when you, when you ask about people we invest in, people we develop here and, and bring into the team, if there was one single word, it'd be trust. Hmm. Now, you know, the challenge that just struck me with 30 acquisitions in the last 10 years, you know, do you put your people through the, the people that you're acquiring? Because, you know, you, you'll hire in 150 people, right, with one, ac- one acquisition or m- perhaps more. Do you, do you put them through the same sort of scrutiny that you would if you were hiring someone in the door? Yeah, no, that's a great question. Um, I'd say yes, no. At a certain level, you do. And of mm-hmm. course, when you're doing that acquisition process, there's only a few key people that you get to know in that's the organization right. yeah. because of the nature of an acquisition. Sure. And so there again, you know, I think you're, you definitely, I think culture and cultural fit has become a big part of our due diligence process. Mm-hmm. You know, we want to know that we're going to work well together. Course, we're yeah. we're going to march in the same direction, but then there again, since we're only going to meet a few people and then maybe, like you said, you know, through that transaction, we're going to hire 200, (laughs) you know, there's a lot of trust in that leadership of that Mm. local team that, that they've already checked those boxes and they've done those things that you talked about. Um, so I think that's, that's how it kind of plays out in our acquisition process. Yeah. Cool. Um, looking forward, you know, we kind of started with COVID, so we'll, we'll end up with it. Um, you know, who knows if we'll ever be in a post COVID world, you know, with all these variations now and, Gosh, vaccines probably taking through the balance of the year. And, you know, what about next season, right? You know, who, who knows what the next one is? You know, we, we've kind of got a new normal here. What, you know, what do you see ahead? I mean, look, your crystal ball, how's it impacting your business? You know, you talked about, you know, obviously being an essential industry, that'll continue to be the case. And, you know, having to go through, you know, having all these people show up on day one and what, how the heck do we, what do we do and how we make it manage? You know, now that you're a year into it and look forward, you know, what, what will be the impact on Kodiak? And, and what do you see more broadly in your industry? Well, I think there's a couple of things. First, on the business mm. side, certainly we're thinking about, uh, and our whole industry is, you know, what changes as far as where people live, what kind yeah. of housing they want to live in, what do offices yeah. look like? Yeah. Because we supply all those we supply all those types of construction. Home office extensions must be big this so, year. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I, <laughs> yeah, I do think we're going to see... Um, and we're already seeing this. We're seeing more interest in smaller communities and more, you know, yeah, further out yeah. in the suburbs because people right. are either working from home, as you said, or they're doing what we're doing, you know, in our corporate office and, and have really kind of started to find just a more flexible model. Right. So right. I think you're going to see right. that industry-wise. I think as far as culture, the one thing that, that um, I, you know, we've probably got a little bit different view than maybe a lot of a lot of businesses is that, as we talked about earlier, really from day one, most of our employees, they didn't have a choice. They didn't, you know, they couldn't yeah. just pack up their laptop and go home. They, right. they, right. they come into right. the yard every morning, they're jumping on their forklift or a truck. <laughs> they're moving stuff. <laughs> and, and, they, and so, you know, when things first shut down, we all kind of hunkered down like the rest of the world. But, mm. you know, pretty quickly, um, we started getting back into the office at our corporate office. Number one, because, you know, We've got a, a, thousands of hardworking people yeah, out in the fields yeah, who yeah. who were taking that risk every day, and it it didn't feel right to us to be sitting at home. Right, um, right, sure. Even though we could do our job there, it just yeah. that didn't feel right to me. And so, we've been back working in our office since May. 
Wow. And um, do you think that was appreciated? Did did the people in the field and the I and think the yard? So. Listen, know. you know, I'm sure a ton, a ton of them probably didn't even know. Um, yeah, sure. But you know, it's just it. It's just, it was just the right thing to do for us. Um, But so that also, I'll tell you, that also gives us a different perspective on how you quote, like you said, get back to normal because, you know, our view has been, we learned how to do this safely. (laughs) And, and so I think the one other thing, when I think about post COVID or or even just year two, you know, of however long this <laughs> yeah, is, that's right? probably more accurate, year two of COVID. <laughs> I, I think that the one thing that we've really wanted to do from an office setting is get our people back in here, at least some. And, and I think what we've learned is that, hey, there is a way for us to create a little additional flexibility more for flexibility, employees yeah, and yeah, more of yeah. a work-life balance. I mean, our people yeah. here at this corporate office work really hard. They put in a lot of hours. And so you know, there, we've been able to add some flexibility, but mm. we've felt it was really important, especially for like our, our younger, uh, staff right. that right. they are in here, um, and that they are collaborating with each other and that they're exposed to, you know, our yeah. senior leadership and, and in meetings with them. I, I just think that the thing that concerns me about all this work from home is that we lose some of that. And, you know, I've talked throughout as we, yeah. as you and I've been talking here, I've talked a lot about a, a lot of different mentors in my life over the years and, and they play a huge role in where I'm at today. And, and I just right. think, um, I just think we we're still, we still need that interaction and we need that collaboration, that problem solving yeah. that we do together. So I'm, I'm really hoping that, you know, companies and governmental or everything that we figure out how to, how to migrate back, get, you know, get together and, and be working together right. and do it safely. Yeah. And the balance, I think, as you stated, is right. You know, pre, pre-COVID and, you know, of course, working in recruiting, very familiar with this, you know, people that work remote, 10 to 15% higher productivity, you know, on average. And this has been proven over 15, 20 years. And, you know, I'm sure this has played out for many companies that have, have shown that level of flexibility. So, you know, it's really a win-win-win. It's a win for the customers. It's certainly a win for the company and, and should be a win for the employee as well. Well, and I think that's the thing. I mean, if you can, I hope, I hope that what we all are learning, you know, anytime you go through a crisis, you go through challenging times, you, you learn some things. And, right. and I hope we come out of this learning, like you said, learning to even within work, like what are the things that we can do remote and do it yeah. really well? And like you said, even raise your productivity, right. but then how do we augment that? And how do we keep developing people, not mm-hmm. just for what they're doing today, but for what they're, they're going to want to do. And we're going to want them to do two years from now and five and yeah. 10 years yeah. from now. And you make a very good point. I don't think we can ever work away from that collaboration. And, and you know, while people can meet on Zoom and do their collaboration, et cetera, you know, there is that personal interaction. I think that's always going to be needed to maximize creativity, let alone productivity. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. Steve, you've been very generous with your time. We always have one last question, though, that we do ask and all our CEO guests. And then, you know, what's that career and life advice you'd give to someone who, you know, perhaps like you um, had a corporate career, you know, was there 10, 15 years, maybe thought they would never leave it, but then saw the opportunity to do something entrepreneurial on their own. You know, what, what, what guidance would you give them if they're in that at that corporate stage? Right. And maybe looking to do something on their own at some point in time. Sure. Well, you know, I think I think the first thing is, uh, and I do, I, I do get the chance now to to talk with folks, uh, you know, who are thinking about doing something similar, and mm-hmm. and you know, I, I think the first thing is, you know, I'd really, I'd encourage people, I think first, just to really follow where their passion and their dreams are, yeah. 
And sometimes that is doing something like this. Sometimes it's that corporate role. But that's the first thing is I encourage them to, you know, pursue that. Because, you know, I think think back to when we started Kodiak. And I remember a, a, a moment where we were in the process of this. And I'd actually gotten another corporate job offer. Oh wow! And we were in the process of raising capital for this this first you know first thing. <laughs> Big temptation. Yeah. Huh? So I, I remember sitting in our living room with with my wife Linda and kind of saying, you know, look, <clears throat> you know, we've got the we got three kids. Um, <laughs> I, I don't know if they're eight, twelve, and ten. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know if this thing's going to work. Um, and and now I've got this great job offer. Yeah. And yeah. so. I really need to, you know, we need to talk through that. I need to know where you're at. Need to pray about it a little yeah, bit. Yeah, <laughs> and yeah, pray about it. And and I just remember, you know, her saying, and she is, she's always been one of those mentors and one of those voices mm. and, and wise counsel for me throughout the last, you know, almost 30 years now. And And she just said, you know, look, you've wanted to do this for a long time. Yeah. You got to see this through. And look, if this doesn't work out, yeah you can go get the corporate job again now, yeah. but, but you, yeah. you've got to give this a shot. And, and right. I'll tell you, it really gave me the freedom, uh, and the confidence to let's see this through. And so I just tell people, you know, I'd tell them to pursue what they're passionate about, but right. then I would right. also, and I've, I've kind of, you know, it keeps coming up in, in our conversation here today. I, I would encourage people throughout their careers and their lives to have those mentors in their lives mm-hmm. that can speak into them, whether it's your your spouse or a professor or coworker or a boss. Or a pastor. <laughs> or a pastor. I mean, all of those play a role in, I, I know have played a, a really important role for me in in terms of when I did finally make that leap. In fact, our, our very first committed investor at Kodiak, David Alexander, uh, was some one of those mentors of mine for a couple of decades. And I actually went to him more on more than one occasion between, I'm going to say 2000 and 2011, when, when we actually started Kodiak and had a different idea and said, Hey, you know, I'm thinking about doing this. And Mm -hmm. those first few times, uh, just like that, just like Jack Riggs, who told me, you know, no, you're not going to change your major. <laughs> you're going to finish your accounting degree. <laughs> David told me a couple times, you know, I, I really think you ought to keep developing in your career and mm. get some more experience. Mm. And then yeah, when I called yeah. him in 2010 and we talked about what became Kodiak, yeah, he said, I, I think it's the time to do it and, and I'm yeah. in. And yeah. so, oh, wow. Having, so he yeah, invested as he's, well. He's yeah. actually, he's a, a, he was our board, a board member for several oh, years yeah. for us. And wow. he's an investor to this day. And, you know, I just, I think, so I think having those people in your corner and in your life, yeah. and I think being that kind of person for someone for else, others. Yeah. that's give the advice back. I'd give people. Well, Steve Swinney, CEO and co-founder of Kodiak Building Partners. Thank you so much for sharing your journey into the corner office. Thanks, Brant. Have a great day. Thank you for listening to Into the Corner Office with Brant Hanley. We hope you enjoyed hearing our guest CEO story as much as we did. If you want to hear more CEOs reveal their journey into the corner office, please subscribe via iTunes and tell your friends and colleagues. For more information about Brant, Resource Options International, and the mighty middle market, visit www.goforroi.com. We look forward to having you join us for our next episode.